Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 122. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> Get Headquartered, a timeline of the Monkey Solo Years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. I just turned in my book about Pac-Man, and I have no news about the Warren Kremer book, or the TTV scrapbook, or the Disney book. I'm still working on my Mad book, the Kool-Aid Man article, as well as articles about the Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton Comics. On today's show, we feature the writer of a new graphic novel called Everyone is Tulip. And he's also done other work such as Star Trek and Fuck Off Squad and his own Deep Cuts podcast. Here he is, Dave Baker. Hi, this is Mark Arnold from Fun Ideas Podcast. And today we have a special guest who has written a book called Everyone is Tulip. And it's a graphic novel. And uh, here he is, Dave Baker. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Mark. I really, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk about some funny papers. <laughs> So um, this uh, book, uh, you gave me a sample copy so I can read through it. It was very interesting. Uh, it basically describes, if I can paraphrase, uh, a girl's adventures with her cell phone, basically. Uh, and she's also trying to be an asp aspiring actress. And she has kind of this alter ego life, if I can say it uh, and uh, you kind of don't know what's going to happen next, so it's kind of a lengthy adventure, about 200 pages, I believe, and very well drawn by Nicole Gu, who is supposed to join us today, but that's okay. Uh, so I'll just ask Dave all the Nicole questions as well. That's, and, that's fine. Uh, I'll do my I'll do my best Nicole impersonation. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> and maybe we'll have her on again in a future time if you do a future. Uh, uh, graphic novel or anything else. Absolutely, you know? absolutely, man. I mean, let's be real. We've, we're we not going to stop anytime soon. Are we, in fact, we do have another, our next project is a, is a 200 and some odd page graphic novel and it's completely finished. So there'll be, okay. an, there'll be more. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Okay. So the first question I usually start off with is tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into writing comic books and other things. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm originally from Arizona. I, uh, moved out to Los Angeles, where I currently live, probably six, seven years ago. Uh, and I, I've been working in the uh, new media and, and film industry since then. Um, and I, I've written a bunch of, bunch of stuff. I've written Star Trek comics. Uh, I did a, a Fortune miniseries called Seven's Reckoning, the IEW published. Um, and then I've self-published a bunch of comics, like Action Hospital, which is a kind of action-adventure story set in a futuristic hospital, um, as the name would imply, <laughs> and um, probably about six or seven other books, and I wrote a movie that's on Netflix called uh, Alien Warfare, and um, I, uh, yeah, I've been around, man, I've been out here making stuff, trying to, trying to, trying to, trying to make some cool art, and, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> succeeding moderately, I suppose. Okay. And um, is this like your 
I guess for lack of a better term, is this your goal to do more of the graphic novels or do movies or a little bit of both or everything or what's your D all the goal? above, baby? Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I love I love comics. I love comics. Yeah. They're my first love and they're the they're the thing I, I'm primarily interested in. But um, you know, I, I'm from uh kind of a like a DIY punk background. So it was a, uh, it was, you know, I, I played in bands and I've made, you know, like self-produced movies in high school and all that kind of stuff that, you know, it's it never went anywhere. Cause it's, you know, it's you and your friends running around in the desert and shit. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I, I actually struggled with that question that you just asked me quite a bit for a period of time, because there is a, there is a stereotype that people in comics blow up, you know, they get a certain amount of notoriety and then because the industry is so forgiving and there's so little money going around, unless you're working on Batman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people leave to work on uh, in other mediums. You know, you become yeah. a storyboard artist or a commercial director or whatever. And and that's something I struggled with for a period of time where I was kind of I was very rigid and I was like, I'm not going to do other things. I'm only going to make comics. And um I, I yeah I don't know when you're when you're a 16 year old it's really easy to draw lines in the sand yeah. um, because you don't have a full perspective right and right. Um, thankfully the the industry that I'm in um, it, it has lots of time where you're not doing anything right. so when you're waiting for notes on a draft you could just be making comics it's not that right. fucking hard. <laughs> And, you know, you asked before the show, you know, when did I start the podcast? And I said 2018. And it's like, before that, I never even thought about doing a podcast. Oh, that's what other people do and stuff like that. But I, I mentioned my friend Lee. He says, but you interview people well and blah, blah, blah. And I go, okay, fine. Yeah. But then, you know, it's it's like what you're talking about, you know, should never turn down opportunities. If they, <coughs> excuse me, if they rise, you know. And um, Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent of yes and. You know, the, the, the improvising, improvisation gold standard of like, just say yes and see where it goes. Right. Um, I, I really do. I really do believe that um, accepting those opportunities, even when they're kind of weird and just like, I don't I don't know if I'm interested in this, but just saying yes. Mm-hmm. It takes you all kinds of interesting places. You get cool stories. Maybe you'll make some money and, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there's there's something for uh, just the experience, you know. You only live once, right? Uh, you got to go out and try and do some shit, you know. <laughs> now, before we actually talk about the graphic novel or any other projects you've worked on, um, tell me a little bit about Nicole and uh, her background. Yeah, she's uh, she was an editorial illustrator when we met. She uh, she went to school for illustration, as did I. We were both artists, obviously. Um, and um, she and I met five years ago or so. Um, she was an artist that I had just kind of met through my network of friends at a gallery show. And I was like, hey, your stuff is really cool. Do you want to potentially make some mini comics with me or work on this web comic that I'm doing, Action Hospital? Um, and initially she was a little reticent just because I think she she was very interested in comics as a teenager and was really interested in manga and like at one point in time was trying to like naively move to Japan to be a mangaka <laughs> which is just like so difficult um but you know when again when you said when you're 16 you don't know you're just like right. fuck yeah I'm gonna do this mm-hmm. and um and she had kind of drifted away from comics for a little while 
and was, like I said, working as an editorial illustrator and a, and a toy designer. She was working at a company that Mattel owned designing, um, like, what are those things called? Like a fuzzy kind of color in posters where it's like oh. you buy a, a felt black, black felt poster and it comes with some markers and you're, you know, you're a nine year old and you're like, oh yeah, this unicorn is going to be purple or whatever. Um, so she was working on those. She was designing those and, and doing editorial stuff on the side. And I was like, your work is amazing. You should make <laughs> comics. Cause that's kind of my approach with everything. I, I think comic books are the, the ultimate artistic medium. I think they're, uh, criminally underappreciated in our culture and I kind of just wish everyone would make comics even comic even people I don't like I'm just like I, I wonder <laughs> what kind of comics that person would make yeah and um, we hit it off we started making mini comics and then from there started making shorter books and then longer books and then touring the country and then eventually you know we, we moved up to the point where you know we've got this book that we're here to talk about today a little bit um, everyone is tulip coming out from dark horse and we have a book coming out next year from Simon and & Schuster. And um, we've made multiple graphic novels and I don't know, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, you know? Uh, it's very rewarding and it's cool to see her grow and, as an artist too. Um, and she makes me a better writer and a better illustrator. It's, she's very, very, very skilled. She's a very skilled um, illustrator, which is a compliment that I don't levy lightly. Mm -hmm. Now, where did you meet her? Did you meet her in LA or somewhere else? Yeah, in in Los Angeles. Yeah, okay. I um I was at a gallery show for Julian. <laughs> oh, Bar Barrios Barros Julian Barros. Um, He's like a, an Instagram illustrator who does these okay. kind of. I think that's his name. It's been a couple of years since I've had to think about this. Okay. Um, uh, he does kind of like very illustrative spot illustrations of kind of like the 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 theme that he was working on for that show was like this this boy like interacting with a giant moon and like the moon would kind of be fractured and the boy would be like floating through the moon and stuff um mm. at, a, at a gallery in culver city that i don't remember the name of and basically we literally she was there with a couple of my other friends that i knew through illustration circles and um i started talking with her and she was funny and then we went to a bar afterwards and she started drawing on napkins <laughs> as you do when you're an illustrator mm -hmm. and i was like oh wow this is great and kind of from there we started up a friendship and mm -hmm. and uh, very soon after i was like bro you gotta make some fucking comics <laughs> <laughs> now is she from la or somewhere else or yes she she's from? yeah she's from she's from okay. uh the, the suburbs of los angeles yeah got it okay all right and then um uh, as far as, you know, like when she was drawing on the napkins, I know she, this graphic novel has kind of a manga style. You said she's a fan. Does that, is that the way she normally draws or is she drawing very di various different styles? She, she can, uh, she's a much better illustrator than I am. I can kind of only draw in one style <laughs> and she's much more elastic and can make choices about her art and choose to expand or retract certain things. Um, I think it's definitely the style that our book is drawn in is in line with what she normally does, but okay. there is a theme in the book where the, our main character has this duality to mm -hmm. her. And in one version of her persona, she's drawn a little bit more like a shoujo manga heroine. And in another version, she's drawn probably a little bit more of like a traditional American indie comics yeah. person, um, which also, fits into the theme of the book in an in an interesting way right. 
without yeah, spoiling well, anything. Yeah, we can talk about your other projects you've collaborated on in more in depth later if we can, but it doesn't really yeah, matter. Sure. Um, but were those done similarly to this one, or is this one kind of unique in all when you compare all the projects that you worked on? I would say that um, the process by which we've made books has changed a little bit over time okay. in that because she had stepped away from comics for a little while, when she came back to it, um, she might not have, you know, because when you're reading comics as a kid, you're not necessarily cognizant of how they're made, um, where I am an insane person and have, have always been obsessed with how things are made. Like, even as a child, I was like, but how, how did James Whale do the shot in Invisible Man where he, where, where he, uh, he pulls the bandages off his head? How does this happen? Oh, my God, it was black material? What? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've always kind of been an old soul man at a time, whatever the euphemism is that you want to use. Right. And um, so I think initially when we started making comics, it was probably a little bit closer to like a traditional American compartmentalized, I wrote a script okay. then I gave it to her then she illustrated it. But now it's very much a partnership. We, we mm -hmm. co-create the stories together. Um, she's involved in every aspect of the stories, um, contributes ideas for not only characters, but theme and, um, we're both very interested in like the mechanics of comics. So there's a lot of kind of formal elements or narrative uh, mechanics that happen in the book that are based exclusively around the inner workings of the comics medium that some of which I came up with, some of which she came up with. Um, so it, it, it's a true collaboration. Like the, the book really developed you know, I would do a draft and then we would talk about it and then she would be like, yeah, this doesn't work and that's great and blah, 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 blah. And then I would go and do another draft and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so for this uh, particular book, Everyone is Tulip, um, basically, you know, I'll read the synopsis type rather than my sure. memory. <laughs> a young yeah. woman moves to LA to pursue a career as an actress, gets sucked into internet performance art. That's the description. So, yeah. Um, I've kind of vaguely heard of internet performance art. I mean, obviously there's people that make a living off of YouTube and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, whose idea was it? Was it both of yours or yours or hers to, to use that as a springboard for an idea for a script? To make yeah, definitely. Um, I think initially, you know, she was, we were both, we're both interested in these types of people. You know, there's a, there's a bunch of them. Um, if you're familiar with this type of world, it's going to be pretty apparent who we're drawing inspirations from. Like um, there was a, an internet performance art group called uh, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared, which was very popular a couple years ago. There's another person called Poppy, another person called Dalvita. There's a TikToker right now called Bella Porch um, and, and uh, another woman called Belle Delphine. Um, and they're, varying degrees of political performance art combined with a bizarre or otherworldly uh, visual aesthetic usually is the kind of signifier. And it's, it's, uh, it's a subculture that we were both very interested in. And Nicole, I think, originally started drawing some of these people just because they were so interesting to her. And based on the drawings, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I wonder if there's a book here. And then kind of over the course of talking and discussing it, 
it was like, oh, no, there is a book and this is how we would do it. Um, so it, it kind of was organic, but also it kind of started with her. You know, she was okay. the one who really got interested in the aesthetics of these people. And then um, it, it kind of naturally developed over the course of a couple months, I think. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, where did the title come from? Everyone is Tulip. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know I it's mean, a repeating phrase throughout the book, but it doesn't really explain that too well. Yeah, um, yeah. There's, uh, well, one, I think it, there are multiple meanings for the title, which I'm a little reticent to necessarily say. Don't just spoil it I, too much, but I mean, yeah, you know I mean, it's like. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there was, uh, there's some, some of these people in this space did things like that. And I was okay. like. Oh, I guess that's what I'm driving at. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely it's it's inspired by real people, full on. Yeah, like the there this kind of recurring motif, especially with digital content, because it disappears so quickly because it's kind of fed to people through an algorithmic distribution system and then vanishes immediately, and it's so disposable. You have to kind of brand yourself, so people end up saying the same thing and using the same mottos and doing the same shit over and over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> like I, I, I follow on TikTok. I, I follow the guy who's the creator of Billions, and I can't even remember his name right now. But I can tell you how he opens every goddamn TikTok, and it's hi, I'm Mark So and So, co-creator, showrunner of Billions, and and then he'll launch into whatever the little thought that he's making is about the industry or creativity or whatever. And you know that's because it, it's not like people are being served this content chron- chronologically. There's no context to art anymore. Everything right. is this free floating single piece of information and you have to structure your kind of thesis statement with a beginning middle and an end now um which you know in a 15 second tiktok is a weird time to be alive man <laughs> it's weird or snapchat or any of those mm-hmm. type of things yeah yeah, yeah completely. Um, <laughs> now uh is this story uh autobiographical at all for you or her or you know you've had any experiences that translated maybe not specifically to this character but just various scenes throughout the book uh i would say that you know one of the things that we've been doing kind of some some press for the book right you know doing various interviews and doing podcasts and stuff trying to get the word out about the book because it is an independent comic i mean it is published by dark horse but you know Mm -hmm most of their resources are going to fucking Hellboy. They're not going to us. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I get it. It's no hard feeling. It's just the reality of the situation. Like, Jeff Lemire pulls more money than old Dirty Davy Bakes. I got it. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I've been, I've been doing all of these interviews, and a lot of times people don't know me, which, why would they? they have, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a well-known personality or anything. <laughs> and, um, and the question of autobiography comes up a lot, but it usually pertains specifically to the fact that um, the character in the book, Becca Harper, is originally from Arizona, and I'm originally from Arizona. Yeah. And I would say that, uh, you know, n- no and yes. So <laughs> the fact Becca's from Arizona is not autobiographical. That's mostly there just yeah. so I don't have to fucking research shit. I know how to write about not liking Arizona. That's kind right. of it. <laughs> I guess what I'm talking about is, you know, I mean, it's like everybody kind of does this even if they don't. So is uh, like the dialogue throughout the book, except for when she's saying everyone is Tulip, you know, yeah, <laughs> is totally. kind of natural. It's, it seems natural in most cases, mm-hmm. like a conversation 
two people or more would actually have. It yeah, doesn't definitely. seem stilted or made up or this yeah. person is saying this. Right. So was that in autobiographical, what I mean is, is this actual snippets of dialogue that you or uh, Nicole actually said and said, hey, let's put that in the book. It's something that right. happened to me with a friend some other way. But this is a good thing that could be a scene in our book. I think, I think yes, there definitely is that type of stuff specifically about the kind of the the general milieu of living in Los Angeles. The kind of like background <laughs> radiation of just like shitty douchiness is definitely something that, if it wasn't taken word for word, it is very heavily influenced by either meetings that okay. we've been in or people we've been around in coffee shops or that kind of thing. Like. And I know in the book, it is intended to be like, look at these douchey people. But I really love that. Like, I really love, you know, I'm from a fucking shitty small town where nobody's trying to do anything except do drugs and maybe go into the military. And I love that in L.A., everybody's trying. Everybody's reaching for the stars. Will they make it? Mm, no, probably not. But I love the ambition of this place. And I love the they're striving to achieve. And I think also just to drill down deeper into what you're asking, I think the, the autobiography is in the book, but it is more baked into the structure or the characters or the theme in that comics is a really weird industry. So is Hollywood. Hollywood's an equally weird industry, just completely cruel in a different and singular way. But the that kind of cruelty and antipathy towards creators is something that I've had to uh, reckon with, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. you don't nobody's out here trying to make friends. Everybody's trying to make money. <laughs> and the fulcrum of artistic integrity versus commercial viability is something that I find myself grappling with constantly, whether I want to or not. Mm-hmm. And in comics, it manifests in taking a bad deal, giving up ownership of the property working with a publisher that you might not believe in all of their practices uh, in order to try and get to the next level. In Hollywood, it's like, oh, no, we're literally going to give you a dime, and then you're going to make this thing for us, and then we're probably going to take your name off it anyway. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, those, those, those experiences, they're not enriching to the soul, you know, they, they definitely are, they, they seep the energy from you over time. And it's, it's a real struggle to attempt to remain as a well-rounded, centered person and not allow that to affect who you are because you have those experiences and you want to learn from them and say, oh, I'm not going to do this this time. I'm going to zig when I last time zagged. Mm-hmm. And then that fundamentally changes who you are as an artist because you're not making choices because of what's right for the project, you're making choices to avoid pain behind the scenes, right? <laughs> right. And that fulcrum, the, the, the struggle of how far would, would you go to get what you want is really the thematic core of the book. It's, you know, our book follows Becca and a couple ensemble characters as they're constantly in this tug of war between those two ideals. And it is... Mm-hmm not something that any of them have the answer to. It's not a preachy, like, well, you gotta always say no unless it's a great deal. Like, it's not, that's not the world we live in, right? right. Um, and, and so that, that friction, narratively, it's, is what is, I would say, is a deeply autobiographical thing. I understand that very well. Um, am I a black single mother who lives in South LA and works at a, <laughs> 
you know, a ca- check cashing place called Gimme Dem Dollars? No. <laughs> but I know the struggle of trying to take care of the people I love and still express myself through my art. Right. And um, I was going to say, you know, and that leads into it saying Gimme Dem Dollars. <laughs> I was going to say a few things that I like about the graphic novel, and then you can kind of elaborate as I mentioned one. Uh, I'll jump to that one since uh, obviously it's a take on like any cash, uh, check cashing place or anything like that. But what kind of inspired that? I really thought that was very humorous. There's a few other things I'll mention too. So Yeah, um, yeah. There's, there's a bunch of like these weird, you know, Nicole and I have worked on a bunch of projects together. So there's all these weird little inside jokes and and like universe building almost so like there's a fictional fast food chain that goes through all of our yeah so there's in all of our books there's a fictional fast food chain called shiver me burgers which is kind of like a long same one in all of them yeah it's 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 always there yeah yeah (laughs) it's basically like in in our little pocket dimension Mm -hmm. the dominant fast food chain in california is this weird shitty pirate themed fast food place for some reason i don't know why but we both have just really latched onto it yeah. um it's a major location in our next book it we've it's been in a bunch yeah it's been in a bunch of them so okay. um, i think that's very funny so yeah. thank you i think it's very funny too i appreciate you liking it because yeah. no one ever <laughs> points it out but uh but yeah the, the shiver me burgers and gimme dem dollars are these two fake brands that are in both of our book or a lot of our books and and specifically give me them dollars comes from um i dated a girl at the end of high school who worked at like a check cashing place like that and she was a doll she was super super nice but it was this thing where just in the back of your head you're like yeah but these places take advantage of people why why are you working here and it was this really strange kind of like you know you could get another job it wasn't like in the book where in the book, our character Chloe works there, and it is very apparent that like she doesn't have a choice. She needs to take whatever the job she can get is in order to pay bills. That was not this specific individual's thing, um, and it was that, that idea of kind of um, a business that everybody acknowledges exists, and also everybody is kind of like, hmm, something's not right here. Uh, is a very intriguing idea to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shiver Me Burgers, that, I think that just came from Nicole. I think we were joking about <laughs> like what would be the dumbest name for a pirate-themed burger restaurant. Yeah. And she was like, Shimmy, Shiver Me Burgers. Because yeah. I think I had, I had come up with some sort of pun that was like burgars or something. <laughs> and she was like, nah, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Yeah. And then she, she said, Shiver Me Burgers. We were actually at a convention. We were at a convention selling comics. And she said, Shiver Me Burgers. Somebody walked by. <laughs> and I was like, hey would you shop at a fast food place called Shiver Me Burgers? And they were like, is it pirate themed? And I was like, yes. They were like, fuck yeah. And I was like, all right, that's the title of the place now. I thought it was kind of maybe possibly inspired by maybe like Burger King because you think of him as like, he's a king. So obviously he must have a kingdom somewhere. And so they just kind of morphed from king, kings his, and everything to yeah, pirates his, and stuff like that. You know, man, the Burger King's kingdom, yeah. it's flavor. <laughs> Um, one other thing I like, and I was just also curious about the inspiration, um, I will say where I think it's inspired from is like, you, I like the close-ups of the cell phones. I'll use my cell phone as an example. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it has what dialogue is going on in her life and everything like that. 
And, um, you know, it, it kind of inspired me, or not inspired me, reminded me of the old uh, Batman the Dark Knight novel from way back when, where they yeah. had, like, all the images of the TV sets and everything totally. like that. Was that, like, an inspiration for you for that, or is it just... Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, so the, like I had said previously, you know, Nicole and I are both really interested and, and um, obsessed with the, the language of comics and the medium of comics and kind of pushing things in new directions and, and, and finding vistas that have uh, previously been undiscovered, right? You know, um, and, and, I, and I think that's more possible in comics than other mediums because, you know, in, in the 1950s, comics was the dominant medium in North America. And then there was a, a, a Senate hearing called the Kefauver hearings where they arraigned uh, a bunch of, they, they got all these people together and they were like, hey, we think that comics are corrupting America's youth. And they had this, um, this man named Frederick Wortham, who was a pop psychologist of the day, come and basically deliver testimony saying, I've interviewed a bunch of kids at this clinic I work at. They all say they love comics and they're all committing crimes. Therefore, comics must be ca causing these crimes. Mm -hmm. And that caused um, mass comic book burnings across the country, a censorship board being enacted, mm -hmm. uh, and comics almost overnight going from being the dominant form of American culture to a ghettoized pornography peddling industry ostensibly yeah. and and it's in north america it's never really recovered which is really you know it's a it's a it's a crime like to me it, it's 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 artistic um it's an artistic travesty and so there's so much untapped about the the medium of uh of comics i mean think about it this way right movies have been around for a hundred years Right. And it took us till 1999 for somebody to be like, but what if we moved the camera and had slow motion at the same time in the matrix? You know what I mean? Like that seems like such a simple thing to think of, but it took the Wachowski sisters to almost reinvent the visual language of cinema mm -hmm. in one shot. It's, it's astounding. And I think yeah. advances and, and inventions like that new creations can be made in comics more so than anywhere else because there's so much untapped potential. And that's why the medium is so exciting and visceral to me. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about this, you know, these cell phone mechanics, um, it comes from a pretty purely mechanical place where I was thinking about how I was frustrated wow. with the dimensions of a comic book. A traditional North American <laughs> comic book is 6.67 by 10.35 basically. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it is a skinny, tall book is because in the fucking 1930s, the guy who decided to invent comics took a newspaper broadsheet, folded it over, and then folded it over again. That's the only reason. Yeah, that's the only reason. MC Gaines, uh, the father of Bill Gaines, the guy who started EC Comics. Um, well, Charlie Gaines started EC Comics, but Bill Gaines made EC Comics what it was. Right. He folded it over twice and was just like, okay, this is the palette that every artist will work on for the next hundred years, which is so bizarre to me. It's so <laughs> bizarre. But I was frustrated with that. And I was, you know, because humans are binocular characters. We like horizontal or binocular creatures. Uh, we're predators. So we have eyes in the front of our heads and we like horizontal uh, compositions, you know, yeah. so we were constantly interpreting the world in this horizontal bar and it's very difficult to put a horizontal bar into that shape of a vertical bar, which means you have to make multiple 
compositions or make it a two-page spread because that kind of mimics the way our eyes work a little bit better. Um, and I was thinking about the nine-panel grid and how the density associated with a nine-panel grid is really great for narrative storytelling, but very difficult for compositions. And then it occurred to me, oh, a phone is kind of the same shape as a horizontal nine-panel grid panel. We could make a pattern of narrative panel, cell phone panel, narrative panel, so on and so forth. And we could, we could make shapes in the page itself because as a comic book creator, I'm always thinking of like the composition of the individual panel, mm -hmm. the composition of the page, and the composition of two pages at the same time. And the cell phone mechanic that we're talking about right now works really well for you can have themes expressed very easily visually because it's easily rep, uh, replicable. You know, you can have the cell phones make a diamond. They can make a, a square. They can uh, be making a diamond, except there's one, the, the right-hand page, there's no bottom for the, for the diamond. And it's like, oh, the composition is uneven. What does that say about the story? And like, there's all these kind of mechanical ways of using them that, to my knowledge, I mean, yeah, cell phones have been in comics before. I'm not claiming credit okay. for that. But yeah. to my knowledge, cell, phone in, cell phones in comics have not been done in that specific way. I personally haven't seen it. I, I'll admit I haven't read everything, but I mean, I, read I haven't, I haven't read every so, comic so, ever created either, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like I'm, I'm pretty in touch, especially but, in North America. I'm pretty in touch with what's happening and yeah. I don't believe that it has been done prior. Mm, okay. Now um, you ended up with this. Well, let me ask this first. Um, so I read it digitally because that's how you sent me a copy. Is yeah. the dimensions of this book the same as a standard comic book, or is yes. it? Yes, yeah, it Okay, is I just want to make point... sure because uh, yeah. you know when I'm reading di digitally and just scrolling up, I don't know yeah, exactly it what it size have... it is. You know, yeah, okay. definitely. <laughs> okay, um, so um, my question was, how did you end up with Dark Horse? Did they see any sample pages and say we got to have this, or did you shop it around? What was going on? Uh, it was a little, little bit of both, honestly. Um, we had been talking to some other publishers, you know, went back and forth. We were talking and then we met uh, Connor Knudsen, the editor that ultimately acquired it um, at a convention in Seattle, I think. I think it was Seattle, either Seattle or Chicago. I don't remember. When, when was this? Because obviously we've had COVID for a while. So Yeah, let's say it was two years ago, I think. Okay. okay. Um, and, uh, you know, he had came to our table and was like, hey, I read... I read your book, Fuck Off Squad, and I really liked it. Do you, do you have anything else like this? And we were like, well, yes and no. It, you know, we, we have another book. It's not exactly like Fuck Off Squad, but, you know, it, it has a very kind of similar theme or feel to it. Maybe you would like it. And so we sent it to him. He, and he was, a, he was a, a massive champion for it. Like, I can't, can't thank my lucky stars enough, man. That, that guy... Yeah. Um, really went to bat for the, the the book because not only is it a little bit of an unconventional thing, but it also, you know, uh, Dark Horse, I don't think Dark Horse is necessarily known for publishing work like this. Um, and yeah. I, I think it's cool and a good thing that, that this ended up there. I, I'm very excited about the potential of it because, you know, thanks to their many successful uh adaptations and their track record as a stalwart publisher in the industry they've really carved out a name for themselves and i'm i'm very excited to see 
how our book does. I am a dyed-in-the-wool self-publisher. Regardless of having <laughs> written Star Trek, I'm, I view myself as somebody who is an independent comics creator. Yeah. And for there to be a, a, a mechanism that, will, that I will not have to call every fucking comic book store myself <laughs> is like, oh, <laughs> this is cool. I, I'm excited to see where this all goes. Yeah. Did they have, I know they I've worked with Dark Horse too, but it was only for more reprint titles, you know, Harvey Companions and things like that through um, with Jerry Beck and Leslie Kabarger. That was a few years ago. And I was working with Mike Richardson more than mm. uh, who you were working with. But uh, did you find it? The big, pretty... I, he, 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 he doesn't like it when people call him Mike Richardson. He only answers to the big cheese. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I don't know Mike Richardson at all. Oh, okay. I was, that was okay. completely a joke. I don't okay. know him at all. He seems like Big a lovely guy. Big he seems like a, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, well, now I lost my question. Um, oh, so how was it working for them? I mean, was it freeing? Like, oh, I don't have to have all this responsibility of, uh, like you're saying, marketing and everything like that. Or are they pretty restrictive? I mean, it was pretty good for what I was doing, but that wasn't a graphic novel like you're doing. That yeah. was a reprint title, so... Yeah, um yeah, the 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 process bringing them so far has been really good. Um the 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 creative side of it, you know, we had been making Tulip for a a, to- a period of time, so it, it wasn't necessarily like you know, large amounts of editorial feedback. It was more just kind of like Connor looking over the pages and being like, "Oh yeah, this all works." Or, okay. you know, on the very rare occasion being like guys we can't we can't put that amount of nudity in or whatever it was you know like yeah um but it was it was very very minimal in terms of that but there was a lot of support in terms of him helping us find people to help um with production and do design on the book um you know nicole still ended up co-designing the book um because Mm -hmm. she's she has a you know kind of a keen artistic vision but uh you know dark horse is very very hospitable in that regards Mm -hmm. um in terms of the marketing stuff, um, they've been very helpful, but it still is, you know, as I was joking earlier, mm-hmm. everyone's Tulip ain't fucking Hellboy. So it's still a lot of me <laughs> kind of going out and being like, hey, guys, hey, guys, hey, guys. Um, but so much of that legwork is uh, elective as opposed to a necessity because yeah. they just have a large apparatus and retailers are aware of the books they put out. Yeah. I mean, it's not too graphic. It's, it seems to me like a PG-13. I mean, unless you're totally. really worried about nipple, uh, which yeah. is in a couple sh- couple shots. But um, it, uh, was there, uh, you know, any, was the original idea more graphic than what you came out, or is pretty much what Dark Horse was? Uh, it, really is, okay. it really is. It really is this. It, yeah. yeah. Th- I mean, when we first started, even before Dark Horse was involved, when we first, first, first started discussing it, we were debating making the book a little bit more like the Satoshi Kon anime Perfect Blue mm. uh, or Millennium Actress, where mm-hmm. it is kind of more of this dream logic. Like we thought maybe it would be a little bit more genre-y, mm-hmm. kind of an intellectual thriller where maybe the digital persona would come to life and maybe our character would interact with it. It would kind of be like a Tyler Durden-esque reflection of who they are maybe. And then ultimately that just, we weren't, as interested in that direction. So we ended up making this book, which is a much more kind of emotionally grounded story about real people in a, in a, in a, in, in an artistic dilemma, as opposed to the uh, Tony Scott version of it. 
And, um, you know, the main theme of it, like we've talked about already, is that it was it's about Internet performance art. Um, talk about that a little bit, because I'm not terribly familiar with it, just a little bit. I mean, this kind mm -hmm. of shed new light on things. It sounds like there's a kind of a seamier underside to this, as there is with every other industry, I'll admit. You know, it's not like it's immune to this, but... Uh, or unique to this, I should say. Um, so what are the realities about internet performance art that you know of that uh, yeah, sure. are out there? Yeah, I mean, like I had said, you know, we, when we started this project, there was a, a small cadre of people who were really doing this very seriously and gaining a lot of attention. Um, and they have all now kind of used these videos as springboards to other things because that's where the money is. Like, you know, there's a very famous TikToker named Bella Porch who started using TikTok as just kind of like, she would like lip sync to songs with this filter that moved the camera to her face. So it's this very bizarre kind of rhythmic thing. And uh, she has 64 million followers now. And when you have 64 million followers, uh, Hollywood comes a knocking, the music industry comes a knocking, and now she's a pop star. <laughs> Um, we need that know. here at the Fun I Just podcast, anyway. Yeah, new you and me both, man. We're we're trying to. We're tr I'm trying to get 64 million followers. Actually, I don't even know if I want that many because 64 million followers comes with baggage that neither of us can even possibly mm -hmm. comprehend. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, many of them have moved into other things, right? You know, I mean, look mm -hmm. at Logan Paul. You know, mm -hmm. I he's now boxing Floyd Mayweather and paid like 10 million dollars to do it. How weird is that? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think, you know, the, the straightforward answer that you, for, you know, of internet, what is in, internet performance art? How does it factored into our culture is that like the people who started doing that stuff are kind of honestly more mainstream culture than we probably think they are. Yeah. Uh, and, and honestly, in this day and age, everyone is a brand. The internet has flattened everything. So everything is internet performance art, yeah. you know, they're, you know, I, I'm reticent to expand on that too much, but you might think that the title Everyone is Tulip could maybe be related to that theme in some way, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> um, and it's a very strange, strange time to be alive where we have this mechanism in our culture that flattens our individualistic uh, lived experiences into ones and zeros that are meant to commodify us and sell myths about ourselves it's a very mm -hmm. strange strange time mm. now in saying that <laughs> obviously you have this graphic novel it could easily lend itself at least i think so to either an animated or a live action feature film mm -hmm. is that a possibility is that something that would cross your mind or it's like oh no 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 this is only for this graphic novel and we're done I mean, look, man, if uh, if you're J.J. Abrams and you want to come have a conversation, my door is open. Uh, <laughs> I think it's I think the, the, the key distinction for me is that um, the book is designed to be a book. It's designed mm -hmm. to take advantage of the comics medium. I think it's pretty apparent from this conversation that I am somebody who cares deeply about the history of comics and about the future of comics and wants to play a small part in both of those things. Um, I do not think that there is a solid track record with people in comics being treated well. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunate. And I think because of that, there's an entire generation of would-be intellectual property farmers 
who make comics to do exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, there are multiple publishers whose whole modus operandi is just churn out a bunch of shitty comics that aren't going to advance the medium and aren't going to pay people well as lottery tickets to Hollywood. Right. Uh, more power to them. I hope their houses burn down. Yeah. Uh, so um, that, that, I guess that's my, that would be the point is just like, yes, I would love for something that we make to potentially be adapted or to adapt it myself. That'd be really fun, but that would be a separate and distinct adventure from yeah. this. So um, that wasn't an ultimate goal of it. I mean, it didn't sound like it, but you know, if it happened, you know, yeah, if it happened, it'd be great. Listen, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know, yeah. uh, obviously I'm, pursuing avenues uh that are very diverse and you know sometimes they overlap um yeah. but I, yeah i never go into a comics project with the idea of like i'm gonna take this shitty pilot i wrote that nobody you know right. wants to read and turn it into a comic to try and get somebody to read it like that's yeah. just not that's not who i am now did dark horse i think you already said this but i'll ask anyway did dark horse uh say anything about that because you know they have projects that obviously have turned into things like mask and uh Hellboy yeah totally and stuff like um, that, so. so uh my understanding is that dark horse has like a you know different multi-tiered deals that they make with people some of their deals they co-own the film rights or they have a stake in the film rights with the creators as mm -hmm. a means of trying to leverage it to hollywood um, mm -hmm. our deal is not that I own or Nicole and I own everyone is Tulip a hundred percent. Um, could there be a discussion with Dark Horse at some point in the future? Possibly. I'm, you never know, man. If they come to me and they're like, Netflix wants to do it tomorrow. Like, okay, let's talk. Let's see what that yeah, means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but right now, Nicole and I own it 100%. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, you mentioned it a couple of times and now I'm curious because, I've only read this project from you. I mean, I'm aware of Star Trek. I'm more aware of Batgirl. Things yeah, like yeah, that. totally. <laughs> she did Shadow of the Batgirl. I think, did you work on that yeah. as well? Okay. I did not, know. Oh, okay. No. So that's her project. Okay. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. would have asked her about it if she was here, but that's okay. Um, but you mentioned Fuck Off Squad a couple times. So explain that and explain yeah, yeah. As some of your other projects you worked on as well. Because, you know, for me, okay, I liked what I read. I'm curious about other stuff you've done. So sure, yeah. you know, mention a few of the projects you've worked on or even yeah. solo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so Fuck Off Squad uh, is a coming-of-age uh, queer romance comic about skater kids in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a kind of slice-of-life drama about trying to live as a, you know, 20-something teen, late teen, early 20-something in, in L.A. Um, and it follows three kind of... Uh, would-be miscreant punk kids in the, in the LA scene. And so there, it's very kind of uh, slice of lifey, you know, drama. You know, if you feel like things like Master of None or uh, Girls, the TV show Girls by Lena Dunham or, you know, that kind of stuff where it's like relationship drama, um, but also kind of funny. Uh, that's what that book is about. And like I said, I wrote it and Nicole drew it and um, Silver Sprocket uh, put it out. Um, okay. And then uh, the, I have a book coming out right now. In fact, today, the day of this recording, uh, issue four of my book, Night Hunters, which mm -hmm. is a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk comic uh, drawn by Alexis Zirit and published by Floating World, uh, it comes out in comic stores everywhere. And it's a, it's a kind of a bleak future where, uh, where 
in Venezuela, there's been a law that's been enacted where if you want to run for public office, uh, rent an apartment or have a child in a hospital, you have to have been or currently be a police officer. Hmm. Um, so hmm. society like kind of makes it, it gets stratified almost overnight where there's kind of like police officers and ex-police officers and then like the dregs of society. <laughs> and um, so it's kind of like a, you know, cyborg, uh, uh, Judge Dredd, Pat Mills-esque kind of <laughs> satire action comic. Um, and then uh, the book that I'm probably well most known for drawing is called Action Hospital, which I briefly mentioned earlier. It's a three-volume, 300-page-each uh, 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 trilogy where... Uh, it takes place in this place called the Action Hospital, which is kind of a place you go to if you have otherworldly needs. Like if your brain is producing bacteria that's turning your body gold, then you mm-hmm. go to the, the Action Hospital and you get surgery from like, uh, you know, a, 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 a satanic super surgeon who cures <laughs> you with black magic. Mm-hmm. So it's this kind of like, you know, larger than life kind of Silver Age comics version of a, uh, a hospital. And I wrote all three volumes and co-drew it uh, because there's a kind of conceit with the books where whenever the characters show up, they're always drawn by the same person. So mm. sometimes there's like 10 people all drawing on the same page. Hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like a jam or something like that. Yeah, some, yeah like, okay. totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, okay. it's a little bit more orchestrated, but yes, it is. Yeah. It was definitely really, there was that attitude where I would just like, invite people to my house be like i'll buy you pizza come fucking work on these pages god damn it <laughs> um a couple ones I, I wrote down i think it was in your little bio you sent me a mary tyler moorhawk what is that one <laughs> yeah that, uh, that's the book i just i i just finished lettering that book it's a it's a 200 page graphic novel that's um a kind of pulp adventure throwback book about a family of globe trotting super scientist archaeologists who are uh, uh, forced to uh, combat the ultimate evil and attempt to reconcile their interpersonal problems while also trying to save the world. Uh, so it's this kind of almost a, almost like a postmodern self-aware version of Johnny Quest. Um, okay. science, science fiction Indiana Jones, maybe. Uh, and that one does not currently have a publisher. But oh, okay. I, just, I was going to say, who published it, that one? Okay. Yeah, it, does, okay. it doesn't have a publisher yet. Um, uh, but I, I just finished lettering lettering it like a day and a half ago so i'm i'm in that like yeah god you're you're like me i on some of my books i i'm writing some books that don't have a publisher yet but i figured they will (laughs) yeah totally it's just banking on it on that saying somebody will like this somewhere you know (laughs) you know what worst case scenario if nobody likes it i like it so i'm gonna do a fucking kickstarter and put that shit out myself right Um, another one, a teenage switchblade. Is that correct? Did you yeah, teen- that one? Okay, teenage okay. switchblade was one of the. Uh, it, that's uh, basically we we published Fuck Off Squad as three individual mini graphic novels okay. because making comics fucking sucks and it takes forever. So you try and serialize things sometimes. Um, okay. So uh, the first one was called Fuck Off Squad. The second one's Teenage Switchblade, and the third one is uh, Fever Coast. And we okay. self self serialized it, it and then collected it into one big volume that Silver Sprocket put out. Okay, got it. I, I just wrote all these titles and I don't remember what I wrote about. And then I think yeah. Suicide Forest is another. Yeah, title? Suicide okay. Suicide okay. Forest is a an OGN that Nicole and I made where it all it all takes place in one room, and so as you turn the pages, uh, the people move around within the room. Stuff happens. It's almost kind of like. 
I guess maybe the equivalent would be like if you set up a camera in a room and then just filmed for like an hour and people moving around, having conversations, doing stuff. Um, and so the book takes place over one night where a home invasion happens. So it's a horror comic that's all in this one room. It's almost like a one act play. So this is like your matrix, right? <laughs> because you're talking about that camera angles. Uh, yeah, totally. Technique, you know, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. That's pretty much all the questions I had. You know, it's like, um, uh, did you have anything else to say about Everyone is Tulip or any other projects that you are yeah, have I mean, worked I, on, I, currently working on, going to work I think on? The, yeah, I think the, the only thing I would say is that, you know, um, Sometimes when I when I start talking about Tulip or any of these books, it's a very kind of coldly analytical, serious <laughs> tone. Yeah. And I just want to make it clear that Tulip is really funny and yeah. it's it it is uh it has a heart to it and uh it's not as uh check out the big brain on Brad as I am sometimes. Yeah. Uh and I think that if you're someone with a cell phone, there's definitely something in Tulip that you will relate to. Uh, because it's a it's a very weird time to be alive. Yes, and I did find it very entertaining, and so that's why you know. I was Thank like, you. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad it's not a graphic novel. That's kind of an embarrassment. I have to interview this guy for an hour. Yeah. Know? No. So, totally. So, totally. Um, is it out now, or is it? When is it, it out? It comes out in comic book stores uh, on the 16th of June, and it okay. comes out in bookstores July 7th. Okay. So um, this will probably air around the end of June. So it'll probably be out in your comic store by the time. Sounds great. And then look for it in the bookstore. So yeah. uh, I guess uh, just this is your moment now. Uh, give plugs for yourself. Give plugs for websites and anything else yeah. you'd like to say. And if you're going to make any convention appearances, since conventions are slowly sort of opening back up. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you can find me online at heydavebaker.com, or you can read, we're self-serializing uh, Tulip online at everyoneistulip.com. So if you want to get a sample size of what the book looks like, it's being serialized there three pages a week. Um, uh, and the whole book is going to go up. It's not like we're just putting up a couple pages. Um, but right now it's in, I think, the mid-50s or mid-40s in, in page count. Um, so there's a sizable chunk to see if it looks like something you're into. Um, if you want to watch little dumb videos of me on the internet, you can do so uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at xdavebakerx. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you like deep dive explainer podcasts, you got to like some podcasts because you're listening to Marks. So you got to like some, some kind of podcast. <laughs> I too, like every human on earth, have a podcast. No. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> uh, it's called Deep Cuts, and it's a explainer podcast that I host with my friend, um, Andrew Price, and it, uh, it the, the high concept of the show is that every week we pick a topic and then walk the listener through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so that you know they can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at their next forced social function. And uh, uh, I think it's pretty cool. We did a we we get pretty crazy. It's very in depth. We we did a whole episode about the file sharing service Napster. And we did it as a two-hour musical with eleven original songs, and wow. Andrew and I both sang. And yeah, it's uh, it's 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 pretty weird. Uh, we did an episode that I was telling Mark about before we started the show of a Buckaroo Banzai retrospective, oh, yeah. where we got the original screenwriter and director to come and create like a narrative uh, radio play sequence at the end of the episode with a couple of the actors from the movie. Uh, 
So if you like weird, obscure stuff, or you want to learn about some cool stuff, uh, Deep Cuts, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. Very cool. And I know Nicole's not here today, but do you have anything that she might be wanting to promote at this time? <laughs> I think Nicole, Nicole would say, please go buy everyone's tulip. Uh, please go buy everyone's tulip. Please go buy everyone's tulip. <laughs> Nicole's Nicole's nakedly commercial. She she's she's a capitalist through and through. And this is her baby right now, so she wants to yes. to nurture it and watch it grow. So okay, 100%. Fair, fair enough. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Dave, for being on the show today. It was a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed everyone's tulip, and uh, when it comes out, uh, you know I'm should buy it in print form because i only have the digital form <laughs> it's from dark horse and like you said it's it'll be in bookstores and comic book stores very soon and thank you for being on fun ideas podcast yeah thanks mark this was great all right we'll talk soon okay thank you for listening and thank you dave baker for being my special guest remember you can always watch the video version of this episode on youtube episode 123 will be coming soon if you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazzi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night.